On my quest to better sleep, I've been fascinated to find many sleep soul sisters spread across the globe. Today's conversation on newborn babies, children and better sleep is with Ingrid Pruer. And Ingrid has been working in the wellness field for a decade. Her passion on this field began with the launch of her company, Ingrid Baby Sleep Whisperer, where she offers holistic and bilingual pediatric and adult sleeping coaching services. She has dedicated her life to transforming the lives of sleep-deprived families, utilizing holistic methods to create happy, healthy and blissfully sleeping homes. As a former Wall Street research analyst, Ingrid found her true passion when she became a parent. After the birth of her first son, she used her love of data and research to find holistic tools that would improve the health of the whole family. This process led to her life-changing journey to become a certified sleep consultant, aromatherapist, holistic health coach, lactation consultant and yoga nitra teacher. So Ingrid and I share the space of sleep and yoga together. Ingrid has been featured in national media outlets such as Health Magazine, Wall Street Journal, The New York Times, Fox News, CBS and American Baby. And in this episode, we dive deep into babies and sleep and how it can be devastating for new mothers to be torn between trying to uh, choose between cradle their babies or allowing them to actually self-soothe. And you can find Ingrid on www.ingridbabysleepwhisperer.com. Take a listen and enjoy the show today on all things babies and sleep. Welcome to the Sleep Whisperer podcast. I'm your host, Deepa. Join me and my many expert guests and medical professionals from the cutting-edge science of functional medicine of the West, and ancient wisdom of the East. Learn all about how to discover your root causes of poor sleep and understand the proper tools and techniques to end your confusion and begin getting a good night's sleep. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey with the Sleep Whisperer Podcast. Welcome Ingrid to the Sleep Whisperer podcast and I was very excited when I heard Jessica introduce me to the baby Sleep Whisperer and I have this joke with another friend of mine who's also focused on sleep and we call each other the Sleep Soul Sisters. So (laughs) we found one more Sleep Soul Sister. And uh, I think this is a conversation that a lot of mothers have been asking me for ever since we launched our podcast. And they've said, how can I actually look at my sleep until I get my baby to sleep, which is a very valid point. Uh, So let's talk babies, children and sleep today. And you have so much of experience here. Uh, tell me what actually got you to become the baby sleep whisperer. What was your story? Well, so thank you so much for having me on. I'm very excited to be here, um, you know, and especially talking about baby sleep because I know I remember being a sleep deprived mom and, and pretty much kind of working full time in the finance world and trying to figure out how the heck am I going to be able to get back to the hours that I was doing and have a baby that was, you know, would sleep better. So I was actually on bed rest for four and a half months with my second pregnancy and um, uncomfortable and also kind of like trying to figure out what I want to do next in life. I knew that I didn't want to stay in finance because the second baby was coming home and I wanted to be there more often. I had seen that with my first child, given my work hours, um, I was clearly home a lot less. And so I would only see him a little bit at the end of the day. And I just didn't want my motherhood experience to be in that manner. It just didn't resonate with, you know, what I wanted 
uh, my children's experience to be with me. So I had a friend who was already in the baby industry, uh, specifically into the sleep industry. And in conversations with her, you know, she pretty much was like, you know, I need help and blah, blah, blah. And I'm looking for someone. And, and, you know, I always have taken it for granted how much of a great sleeper I was, as well as my first, my first son, stellar sleeper, never had an issue with him. Only, you know, the, on occasion he was, he would get sick, but other than that, or have like a cold, um, other than that, I just didn't know really what it was like, uh, besides those moments. And I just couldn't imagine having those moments happen every single evening. You know, as my friends started having more babies and stuff, they'd reach out to me because my child was the only one that was actually sleeping well in comparison to their kids. And Mm. then I realized like, oh my goodness, like there's like this whole other world that I haven't fully under, you know, been exposed to because my first child was such a great sleeper, except for those moments, you know, it was like a week at eclipse, if that much of him not sleeping well, I just couldn't imagine what that would be like. So with, you know, under mentorship of my, my friend Deb, who owns the Family Sleep Institute, it's that, you know, I started engulfing myself with all of this sleep information. I studied under her for several like months, not even like maybe even close to a year I was under her belt. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and then that started opening other avenues that I wanted to explore like nutrition and essential oils and lactation and, you know, yoga nidra and so on and so Mm -hmm. forth. It was kind of like it all spiraled, but it was really feeling the sleep deprivation with my second child that kind of just, you know, it's when I took a step forward and said, you know what, I'm absolutely doing this. I'm, I'm going to help others gain better sleep and, and reduce, you know, postpartum depression. Wow. Yeah, that was, that was, that was my goal. That was literally my goal. And it, and it has been because I do know, and as you know, it's kind of sleep is the foundation of health. Absolutely. So, Mm. You know, and it's kind of, it it spearheads everything else. If you don't sleep well, you can't make decisions, great decisions about what you're eating. Your mental wellness is clearly compromised. Your immune system is compromised um, and so on and so forth. And especially right now in our times, um, you know, it's been such a pivot on this earth, everything that's happening. So it's more imperative now that we help families specifically, you know, parents or mothers uh, gain the sleep that they need in order to be the best mother that they want to be and for these little babies for their development in order to gain better sleep. Right. So what is the impact do you find Ingrid when uh, babies and children have poor sleep? How does it actually impact their lives? Well one of the most common um, kind of just situations, circumstances that comes up a lot is it's kind of behavioral in nature, right? So whether it's a baby who's just extremely fussy, can't be settled down because they're constantly overtired to even a toddler or a child in school Mm. that, that is now exhibiting behavior that where the parents are being talked to because the child is maybe not listening or exhausted all the time. Um, you, you know, you, you can tell that they, they're overtired. They're, they have more tan- temper tantrums, right? And they're also maybe not eating as well and getting sick more often because their immune system is compromised, right? Because right? all the effects yeah. of sleep deprivation really can be seen a lot with children. I feel like adults mask their, their circumstances with stimulants, Lots of coffee. Like, let me stay up. You know, what else can I take to like stimulate my body? But children don't have that type of, for the most part, don't have that type of stimulation available to them. So their circumstances are really more apparent. So do they reach for more sugar then? They possibly, some, in some instances they can, but what they really reach for is security from their parents. So they want to be on the parent more often. Mm. They are exhibiting, uh, again, like more crying, more, more kind of not knowing what they want. Do they want to eat or they want to sleep? They just don't know because 
They're too tired to eat, but they're hungry. So especially with infants, right. you hear a lot like, oh my gosh, I can't put my baby down. I can't put the baby down. Like I have to carry the baby all day long because they, I can't put the baby down. That's because the baby just wants to be cradled. They just want to be held. They don't want to do any of the work in order to get themselves to sleep. Mm. And we're going to come back to the self-soothe versus hell. We'll talk about that a little later. But, um, sure. you know, in the Eastern tradition, in, uh, there's always this joke when somebody becomes a new mother and all the elder women are telling them, don't start carrying your baby. You're going to create a habit and then the baby's never going to sleep without that. So is that also a part of it where they just get used to it irrespective of how their sleep is? It's partially true. I do believe that babies need to be cradled to a certain extent. Um, mm. It's when it's done 24 seven, when the parent doesn't take a break at all. Mm. They're, like they're taking their baby, they're cradling their baby as they're, you know, having to go to the restroom or, you know, they will, or, you know, and it makes sense. Like, you know, when you first have a child, it's like, you just want to hold them. You want to make sure that they're going to be okay. And so you don't, you don't always allow others to help you because you feel like maybe they're just not going to be able to do it right. Like you're doing it. Like, you know, your baby best and which I totally get, you know, so I don't want to say don't hold your baby, but there's also needs to be a balance, right? What you want to do is also foster relationships, teach your child that they can foster relationships with other human beings, not just yourself. That is a gift you can give to them. So allowing- interesting. Yeah, and so it's allowing so others to help you. And Ingrid, that sounds like it's also great for a new mom to actually do that because then it doesn't get so overwhelming that you're needed all the time. You get some rest as well. Right, right. And it's, you know, there's a stigma or like a myth that comes along with it. Well, you know, you're, if your baby doesn't sleep, then you're doing something wrong. You're not a good mother. Right. Like, why don't you yes. know your baby? And that's not the, that's for the most part, that's not the case. Like most mothers want to, you know, have like, have, see their children thrive and they want them to sleep. But it, it's, you know, sometimes there's a misunderstanding in the child's communication. So the communication between the, the parent and the child where they, the parents have kind of brought, been brought up with the idea that if your baby's crying, something must be horribly wrong. And that is not the case mm. at all. You know, children yeah. can, can cry because they're just tired, but not because exactly. you need to do the work for them. Just like we can cry. <laughs> Out <laughs> of just we're frustrated or we're tired or we're sad we, or we're happy. We and we feel better many times after doing that. Right. If there's a release. Sometimes yes. you just need to cry to release energy, but not because you need someone's help. It's exactly. not always a cry for help. So very interesting point, Ingrid. But um, when there are uh, babies who have trouble sleeping and even children a little later on, is there something up with their rhythm? Is there a connection to the time they were born? Because again, in the Eastern tradition, there's this joke that if your baby was born at night, he's going to keep you awake all night. Is there any truth to something like that? Oh, I love it. You know, I haven't seen a correlation. The only thing that has come up, and, and I've worked with thousands of families all over the world, is that in only a small percentage of the families I've ever worked with, I've come across, you know, n babies that have bowel movements at exactly the same time every single day since mm -hmm. the day they were born. Wow. And in, and in those cases, it's very hard, you know, to change their bowel movement timing. So in that case, you know, the circadian or the, the, the way their organs cleanse themselves is just very ingrained, no matter what you do. 
but for the most part, that is not the case. That's like kind of the only thing that stands out to me is like a possible consistent wake up time, you know, around that, you know, four to seven o'clock range where it's right. like the small intestine, large intestine cleanse itself exactly. um, according to the, you know, the meridian organ clock. But yeah. other than that, hmm. I have not found that when I work with children, if they will, if they were born at a certain time, they're going to continuously wake up at that time. Not at all. I really feel like children not sleeping well in the middle of the night, uh, you know, just not sleeping well in general, whether they're not taking naps, long enough naps, or, you know, they're, and they're waking up constantly at night. There's gotta, there's, there's always more to the story. It's not that a baby just doesn't want to do it. Uh, it it's, it's mm. mostly tied to scheduling, yeah. right? So like the baby, and, and again, their biological rhythm doesn't really kick in until about three to four months of age. So kind of after that point is when you want to start waking them up every single day at exactly the same time so that their first nap can start taking place around the same time, which will feed into the second nap, which could feed into the third and fourth nap, right? And then bedtime. Mm. So there is truth about like circadian rhythm. And if it's not consistent, it's all over the place. So will their sleep? Because if their sleep is all over the place, then you're not always feeding them at the same time. So then you're also changing up. Right. And you're changing their elimination process or timing as well. So, Hmm. you know, it's a circadian rhythm but you have a hand on helping them kind of really, really synchronize that by, by being, you know, helping them become more consistent. So does any new mommy ever feel that's very cruel to their baby Ingrid to start waking them up at a certain time of the day? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, there, there have been, you know, families I work that have felt that way. The only, my kind of the, how I've worked with them is to, to have them log. So I have them track day to day how their baby is sleeping. Mm. And so I don't just tell them like, you know, this is what you need to do. I actually show them what is taking place. And then I ask them, how is it working for you and the baby having no schedule at all? Right. You know, clearly, and the baby's not sleeping soundly. It's not working for anybody. Right. Right. So when moms are feeling overwhelmed, that they don't have time for themselves, that they don't have this, they, they, don't, they can't do that. My baby's not sleeping. I never know when they're going to fall asleep, blah, 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 blah. That's mm. when I say, okay, look at the log, the data you just gave me. Yeah. What would you tell me if that was my circumstance? Right? That's interesting. I, That's yeah, a very like, nice to flip it. Right. Because I don't want them to, for, I don't want them to feel like I'm telling them what to do. Hmm. because that's not why they're hiring me. They're hiring me to guide them. I guide them in, you know, a very customized manner. So it's always based on their parenting philosophy. I don't make them do anything they're going to be uncomfortable with, but I'm lovingly going to show them what their baby is telling them. If their baby is telling them it's not working to be all over the place, I want them to see it. Not because mm. I'm just saying it. It's because, look, it, ba- the baby is showing it to us. It's just feedback. It's just feedback. And it, you, sh- so you shouldn't feel guilty or upset or anything. It's just giving you information from which you can do something. Absolutely. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, what is very consistent, like, or the common theme is if a baby does not have independent skills to sleep, they cry more often. They cry every single day because they're frustrated, because they're overtired. Mm. And so if someone says to me, well, I don't want my baby to cry, 
I tell them, okay, well, first off, there's not one person in this world who can make a baby not cry. They would be millionaires right now. It's, it's, it's not part of human nature not to cry. You hope that they would so they can release. That being said, there's a difference between teaching a child to learn on their own and another one is to be there by their side. So oftentimes I help families be by their child's side to teach them how to become independent because you can have that and also teach them to become independent. And then it gets to a point where you no longer have to facilitate having the child go to sleep with your help. So if a, if a parent is worried about crying, I said, are you okay with them crying in your arms? And they're like, yes. I'm like, mm. you're okay with crying. Right. Right. But if no, Ingrid, as much as you say that, I think I would be a mom who would feel terrible as well when you told me that. When my baby was small, I would just run to pick him up. Uh, of course, that's different now. But it's interesting what you're saying. But so just tell me, what are the biggest bedtime blunders that parents could do to impact their baby and their child's sleep going forward? Right. So one is one of the I'd say one of the biggest things that I've come across um, is especially when they're little under six or seven months of age is that babies do not get burped well enough before they get put down. Hmm. And so what happens is the baby falls asleep eating, which is not a bad thing, but they fall asleep eating and the parent then puts the baby down. The baby gets up maybe 15 to 45 minutes later, and it is like screaming. Why? Because they have a burp that they need to get out and they, can, they still can't do it on their own. Mm. So that interrupts sleep. So there are right. certain things that we as parents can actually start proactively doing to set up the stage for the child to be able to sleep as well as it can. Making sure that they're fed well, making sure that they're changed, making sure that they're, you know, that they're diaper- um, that they're um, that they've been burped before we get them down. And uh, you know, Ingrid, it's so interesting that in the entire Eastern tradition, every old lady in the house would tell you that never ever put your baby down until your baby's burped. And new modern mothers here in India would actually start to make fun of their grandmothers, saying that's just old wives' tale. Oh, that's so, really? Oh no, that's totally not a wives tale. That is, it's absolute truth. I, I will tell you that it's extremely common mm. that many of the families that I've worked with that, the, you know, that have children that don't sleep is due, a big part is due to lack of being burped properly before mm. they are laid down. Um, the other circumstance, let's say if they are a child that is not breastfed, right? Hmm. Because there's children right. that are bottle fed and breastfed. A bottle yes. fed baby. So this is a, actually, there's a myth. Like if you're nursing, you don't need to burp your child. That is so not true. Right. Right. I mean, the baby's sucking, like <laughs> they're exactly. going to inhale air, like well, whether absolutely. it's on the breast or the bottle. So, mm. but the other, other issue that does come up a lot is that, you know, I, I am a lactation consultant and Something that I've heard from many clients that have worked with other lactation consultants is that they've been told that if you put your baby on a bottle, you must keep them on a newborn size nipple, even if they're like three, four, five, six months of age, because then there's going to be nipple confusion. Like if the mom wants to nurse and also bottle feed, that is mm. such a myth because uh, what that does, what is, what's the science behind that? Well, so what happens is, it, one is it, there is no nipple confusion. You know, you usually establish nursing within like the first month, month and a half. Mm. The baby doesn't forget. And introducing a bottle so that you can run out of the house to get groceries or you can run out of the house maybe to meet up a friend, you know, after the baby's a little older uh, or to have time for yourself just to sit and do nothing <laughs> and exactly. then have someone else be able to help you. It, you know, that is not a bad thing. Mm. So, but they feel like if the, the child is on a, on a, on a, a smaller size nipple, it, you know, clearly the suction is different. Like the child has to work more at it in order to get the milk out. 
they feel that mimics the breast. But that is absolutely not the case. I mean, the flow of the breast is extremely fast. So, yeah. you know, it's kind of like, well, and the other thing is that if a baby has a strong suction, what happens is that they end up intaking air, which causes them to fill up on air, not milk, if mm. they're in the bottle, and then that produces lots of discomfort. It produces a lot of gas. So now and you have a sounds, hungry baby who's gassy. Not and fun. it sounds also, Ingrid, as if the, the baby's not going to get enough milk and will just get exhausted sucking on that for so long and eventually give up without having as much as they need to. Absolutely. That's exactly what happens. So then, you know, moms are trying to put the baby down, but the baby's still hungry. The baby has gas. Why? Right. How could it possibly be able to fall asleep? Would you be able to? Right. Yeah. Oh, so much to, I mean, I don't think, I think it's as it is overwhelming when you're a new mommy. I know that I was completely overwhelmed, especially when doctors just scoffed all my paranoia as the first mommy's paranoia. So I think it's so much information that mummies can actually use to make their baby's life better and their own sleep better. But tell me, are there any more bed, big bedtime blunders that you've seen? Well, it's, it's kind of one of the, the other things that I've seen besides those two main ones is location of sleep. Right. Mm. So thinking that the baby could just sleep anywhere at any time. Um, so one of the biggest things is, you know, babies need some form of schedule and it's not even really schedule. It's kind of like, can you sleep anywhere? Right. Where are you going to get the most restful sleep in your home, mm. in your room? So whether you share a room with your child or your child has a dedicated bedroom, Make it a habit, create healthy sleep habits by having them sleep in that location if you're home. But don't make it a point to have your baby sleep in the stroller here and there, and then you're wondering why you can't get them down. Because hmm. they don't have the opportunity to learn that this is a sanctuary, that this is where they can get rest, where it's calm. They, people want to teach their children oftentimes how to sleep in chaos but they don't have to do that. Do you constantly sleep in chaos as an adult? No, I would hope not. And Ingrid, you know, what is so interesting is that we speak a lot about, I mean, we hear friends telling us that they couldn't sleep because they were away from their home and their bed and a new space. Yes. So I mean, why do we assume our baby can sleep anywhere when we simply can't do that? Yes, exactly. Right. Messi um, agrees with us. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, no, please let her join in as well. <laughs> in the mommy conversation. But Ingrid, tell me, one of the things that I've noticed with a lot of friends is um, they're complaining about their baby being awake all night and sleeping all day long. And the thing that I noticed was that when their baby wakes up at night, they switch on all the lights and then they start to look at their baby, give them a toy. And I think light, of course, plays a, such a drastic role on circadian rhythm in all our lives. But do you think that parents switching on a light in the middle of their night if their baby wakes up can actually be a reason for a unnatural circadian rhythm going forward for many, many years? Absolutely. Um, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, can you sleep? Can you get back to sleep if you turn on the lights? Doesn't it take you longer to get back to sleep and having engagement? Yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's something to be said, like when they're newborns, they're, they're not sleeping necessarily, you know, for more than just a, you know, an hour, two hours, two and a half hours at first. I mean, not every child is like my first child who slept seven to eight hours when he, like two days or three days after he got home from the hospital. Wow. You so, were very lucky. Yeah, I was. But the first one, I was, that's the reason I was like, I didn't know what sleep deprivation truly was, except for when he would not feel well. That was it. But mm. 
So, but there is, an, you know, kind of, but that's not, not the necessarily the norm. The norm is that the children sleep for, you know, an, two hours the most, and then they're up again and you go through the whole feeding process. And that's when they're first, first born. As they get a little older though, you know, anywhere from two and a half, three, four months of age, as long as their weight is stable and, you know, um, you don't have a worry that, you know, they're not gaining enough weight, then you absolutely can have the expectations that your child can sleep much longer. Creating a, an environment where there is stimulation will only create, you know, more sleeplessness, sleeplessness and it becomes a habit. So if the child right. wakes up in the middle of the night, depending on how long it's been since they last ate, mm. they very well could be hungry. So you, they just want to eat and get back down, like literally change their diaper, feed them, burp them well, put them back down. Right. So um, creating engagement in the middle of the night is really just producing a habit of waking up more consistently at that time mm. to receive engagement. And just, yes. you know, kind of like, it's, it's one of those things where children clearly don't understand the concept of time. So if you behave in the same manner that you behave during awake time during the day, they're just going to mimic. Hmm. They're going to have an expectation that every time they open their eyes, it's time to wake up. Yeah, exactly. You're just creating that rhythm for them. And then that's going to last and trouble you and trouble them, not make them feel comfortable for a very long time. Right. And it can happen. I mean, a perfect example or experience that adults have is if they drink water too late in mm. the evening, they're going to wake up in the middle of the night. You do that the next night, you're going to wake up in the middle of the night. You do it another night, you're, you know, you're going to wake up again. By the fourth night, you're waking up even if you didn't drink the water before you mm. went to bed. Exactly. Um, so Ingrid, I think we spoke about one thing before, but I do want to speak a little bit more about this because there's, I've always had this confusion about running to your baby and letting them just soothe themselves if you fed them and change their diaper. And I've always had conversations with many friends over this and there have been some of them who've tried to set that routine. And personally, I've never been able to do that. I just feel if your baby cries, you run to your baby and probably that's not the best thing. Thankfully, my baby is now 11 year old. Um, is there a middle ground for this or is it one or the other? There, no, there absolutely is a middle ground for this, but it's, we need to look into the mother's belief system, hmm. right? What, when you go and pick up your baby, and, and it depends when you're picking up the baby. It's like the baby slept really well, hmm. just had a minimum of an hour of a nap, let's say during the day, declare wake up time. That makes sense. If your baby slept for 30, you know, 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and they're upset, you know, and you've already checked all the boxes of everything that you quote unquote need to do before you get them down and you know that they're healthy and all of that, then what is it? And your baby, like you pick the baby up and they're still sleepy. Hmm. You ask yourself, okay, what is my belief system? So I'm picking my baby up. Are they, is the child really asking for me or are they actually wanting to go back to sleep, but I haven't given them the tools to learn how to sleep independently yet? Hmm. Like, why is your child really asking for you? Is it because they just need you to get them back to sleep? Is it because they're really up and wanting to engage? But then like within 30, 40 minutes, they're looking to get back down to sleep and they are now like six, seven, eight, or, you know, you're, you know, months old or, you know, a year old or two years old. So it's understanding where they are in their development process. Mm -hmm. And what ultimately are they actually looking for when you go get them? And how is that working? Are we feeding into a circumstance where they, you know, we think we're helping them, but what we're, we're doing is creating a perpetual need for help as opposed to empowering them mm -hmm. to do something that they actually can do on their own. Big difference. Very big difference. Yeah. So... Mm -hmm. I, it's not a straightforward answer because it does depend on a lot of variables. 
So there, there's nothing wrong with going to your baby, nothing wrong. But it, I, but I, I invite people to look into what are they doing? Like, why are they running to their baby? What is their baby really asking them? Is their baby telling them, I just need you to get me back to sleep because you haven't empowered me yet to do this on my own. And by the way, children mm -hmm. absolutely can put themselves to sleep since the day they were born. Mm. There are things that lead them to not be able to, like maybe they don't feel well, they're not getting burped well. Um, you know, there, there could be an underlying medical condition, but oftentimes it's more behavioral in nature. Right. And um, also or, mommy who can't handle it, Ingrid, isn't that so? I mean, as a mommy who can't mm -hmm. handle that, I'm sure I'm contributing to my child being unable to put himself or herself back to sleep. Right. Abs well, yes, without blaming the mother, because I want, I want moms to reflect as to why they're doing what they're doing. So they're not imposing their belief system. Like, you know, I, I've, I've gone to work with families and I've gone to their home and in one particular circumstance just really, it just stands out so much as to how we believe that our children are thinking something when they are not because they've never had that experience. So I walk into a family's home and this mother, literally from the moment I get in, she just starts bawling. She's mm. exhausted. Her back is in such bad shape that she needs back surgery because she's been holding her twins for two and a half years. She mm. sleeps in the twins bedroom instead of her own bedroom with her husband. It's literally from the moment I get in to, to two and a half, three hours later of just that. And I'm not laughing at her by any means. I'm, I'm it's more like I feel for this mother, right? So within that time period, that we're having a conversation because we didn't, I didn't even get into what we were going to do with sleep training wise because I needed to hold space for her. She, she felt comfortable enough to release with me that, you know, I'm like, but what is behind all this need to have to hold your babies 24 seven? Where is that really coming from? What are you trying to give them that you didn't get? Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. what it came about. And that was the truth behind everything came about, that her parents weren't loving her parents. She grew up in a very privileged Aww. home, but she was sent to boarding school, like just like her, her siblings and her parents mm -hmm. were like off shopping in Europe and traveling the world. So sh she grew up more with the caretakers in the home. She just wanted to be there for her babies. Right. She didn't want to do what her parents had done to her. And I said, you have to realize that your children will never have that experience because you're mm. so present. But it doesn't mean that, that, that the price of being present means you have absolutely no time for the other aspects of your life as well. That's not being a good mother. You're showing the girls that they should give up on themselves to give to others. Is that the example you wanna show your girls that you want them to be strong, you know? So she was like, oh my gosh. And, and literally her husband and I decided that she was going to go to bed. We sent her to her bedroom and the dad and I worked together. The girls literally had the twins had no issues going, falling asleep without all this like crying that they thought was going to happen. Nothing. They woke up once in the entire night. The girls had never, ever done that. So wow. talk about children feeding off of the energy of, oh, of the absolutely. yeah, right? And also yeah. how we impose our beliefs onto our children. It's like, why are we doing what we're doing? It's a time to reflect. And it's like, what do I want to teach my child? What is the biggest gift I can give them? Mm, and are they in the same circumstances that I was yeah. in? No, most mm. of the time it's not the case. Right. 
Okay, so Ingrid, we're almost at the end of our time together. So I do want to get some very practical takeaways from you. So what is the best way to set up a routine for babies and children which can support great sleep for them all their life? So just tell us how can new parents actually become the baby sleep whisperer for their own kids? Oh, well, first of all, you need to make sleep a priority, which hmm. means create sleep you know havens uh, whether the child sleeps in your room or they have their own room create that serene environment that will you know kind of call to them that it's time to go to sleep create a routine for sleep time which is you know everything from like in the early evening hours starting to dim lights around the house set up diffusers um, you know, uh, diffuse oils like lavender and cedar wood and very earthy type of, of um, aromatic um, grounding. Yeah, grounding oils. Um, you know, if you know, read a book together, read a book to your child, do things that will connect you, right? Because remember, you can create that connection. That, create, that connection doesn't need to be created once the baby's laid down to sleep. Right. The creations can be, can be done also during awake time, but you can prepare and start helping your child wind down, giving them the tools that they can use late, you know, for years and years to come. Um, so routine is really important. Creating a schedule for them that, you know, will not get them into a sleep deprived state like, oh, let me keep my baby up all day and they're going to sleep all night. That's not most of the time that does not work. Children need yes. way more sleep than we do. So yes. super important to create an environment that's conducive to sleep, you know, create, and, and that can include, you know, adding a diffuser, using, you know, a white noise machine to mask outside noises. No, mm. um, so creating a schedule for them, creating a feeding routine as well. Don't have them eat all around the house create a location where we sit down to eat. I think it's important, Ingrid, because I Very. know that um, there have been so many times that when I've um, seen parents who have a bowl of food for their babies and want to make sure that the baby eats the whole bowl so they'll walk around all over the house <laughs> the garden and show them the bird and eat a mouth for the bird eat a mouth for the cuckoo and yeah. <laughs> pretty soon the baby's going to be demanding that i don't want to eat sitting in this boring spot absolutely right? Yes. Yeah. And then what are we teaching our children? We're teaching yeah. them not to be mindful eaters. Exactly. And then television comes a little later, which then is a totally different feeding the face altogether. But when you spoke about reading to your baby, Ingrid, I just suddenly had a sad moment where I wished my son was a baby again, whom I was reading a book to. <laughs> oh, but, it's, but you haven't lost that time. So I, I want to invite you to, to not have that belief system that I, it's too late. Oh, no, no. It's not that okay. I think it's too late. It's just okay, that good. I have an 11-year-old who thinks he's a teenager and he's precautious and speaking back. Yes, <laughs> yes. So I get it. I have an almost 13-year-old. <laughs> You know, something that has come about in the past couple of two to three years is like we live, we're, we're in a home where we're a team. Mm. It's not mom does everything. We're right. a team, right? right. And, and eventually they will go off and whatever they're going to do with their, their life or whatever their life journey is. And things, people need community. They need to be a part of a team. They need to learn how to work together and not just for themselves. So we sit down together um, to read a book. So either we each read a book or someone reads a book to all of us, right? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that it's perfect every single night. Like last night, I was not able to sit down while my husband was reading a book to the boys. Mm -hmm. But it is important to create these moments 
even as our kids are getting older. I think so. Right? So even if your child is kind of a little bit, he's getting into that teenage year, that's okay. That's all good. But you can kind of with, you know, as long as everybody in the family is, is on the same page, you can introduce those moments of calmness and say, you know what? I know that you're getting older and I totally respect that. You have your time to read your book, but I really like to start this tradition. Nice. And, 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 and hopefully they, you won't fight you on the idea, mm. but because you're saying like, this is really important to me. And I know when something's important to you, I'm there for you. Can you please be there for me? Nice. Beautiful. Uh, one last question, Ingrid, on um, just um, sleep again. Is there an ideal bedtime for children in your mind? So it depends on the age. Mm. Um, it really depends on the age. But let's say anywhere between four months of age and third or fourth grade here, mm. which is around, you know, nine, ten years old, I believe yeah. the seven to eight bedtime I believe I, that well, is yeah. ideal is yeah. ideal um yeah. I did it for many years I mean I used to go to bed at like by nine o'clock nine thirty and I was in high school you know those years my teenage years and even in college once in a blue moon I would stay up late but for the most part mm -hmm. I was yeah. in bed by like 10 30 11 <laughs> and to this day I still hold true to that um mm -hmm. if I feel like my body needs more rest, then I do what I need to do to get to bed earlier. Lovely, Ingrid. So uh, one of the things that I always ask all my guests is there's so many people struggling with sleep disorders all over the world. In your mind, what's the biggest root cause of poor sleep among children today? I feel like it's actually very universal, no matter the age group. It's, it's the fear of letting go. Mm. Um, for adults, we're very much in our head. For children, the, you know, the fear of letting go of anxieties that they, they have acquired for mm. whatever particular circumstance they just faced. It's not the baggage of things. I mean, in certain cases, clearly there's trauma and, and it can happen. Um, but it's, this perpetual anxiety of, of, of something that just occurred to them, but it's the fear mm -hmm. of letting go. You can't let go of, you know, whether, you know, for children, it's kind of like, well, mom and dad or mom or dad or grandparents, whoever the caretaker is, you know, they don't mean what they say and follow through. So that creates an anxiety for me of, I can't trust in sleep. Will they be there? Will they not be there? So I'm constantly looking for them. No. And that, and that happens very easily, you know, right. and it's kind of something that parent, like parents don't even realize they're doing. So mm. maybe they're expecting, you know, baby number two comes along and baby number one, it doesn't get the attention all the time or parents just can't juggle both. So they, they know, no, yes, the child, which is no, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. No, you can't have that. Okay, fine. Go ahead. Have it. Mm. So when we no, no, yes, them, what we do is we whittle away at trust of meaning what we say and following through. So if you think about who we trust in our lives are the people that are consistent. When someone becomes inconsistent, we're not sure about them. Yeah. So it's that letting go piece of like, uh, I don't know if, you know, are they going to be there when I wake up? Mm. Um, you know, it's, it becomes something that a child starts feeding into, but it's not like they don't trust the parent. It's, they will always go to the parent. It's just more, there have been circumstances throughout their day that they're just not sure about. Like, you know, the parents don't mean what they say and they're not gonna follow through. So it's, there's some insecurity issues so they can't let go. Yeah, so interesting, Ingrid. I feel I could speak to you for another two hours, but I wanted to. <laughs> your time and just I, I just want you to complete the sleep whisperer podcast mantra which is if sleep is the new medicine then can you give your own spin on that 
if sleep is the new medicine, then we would be happier, healthier for it. Thank you, Ingrid, for a great conversation. And I'm going to be sure to tag all the mothers who've already asked me for this, who kept asking me for this conversation. <laughs> so it's finally there for them. Thank you for your time. It was great Thank having you. you here today with your wealth of knowledge. So from the sleep whisperer to the baby sleep whisperer, I just found another soul sleep sister. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you so much for what you're doing and spreading and sharing information that's so needed. I hope you enjoyed the show. Just a reminder that this podcast is for information purposes only. This is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified health professional. This information is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you are looking for personal help, on your health journey, do seek out a medical practitioner. Please do make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with your doctor or otherwise qualified healthcare professional. It is in no way intended as medical advice as a substitute for medical counseling or as treatment or cure for any particular health condition. Be sure to always work directly with a qualified health practitioner before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle that may feel out of your realm of comfort or understanding. If you are looking for an allied functional medicine practitioner, do seek out more information on www.phytothrive.com or www.sleepwhisperer.pro. It is important that you have someone who is qualified and understands your health personally in order to provide adequate care, especially when it comes to chronic health conditions. 